Welcome back to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, The Job Whisperer, and we talk all things cryptocurrency, blockchain, Bitcoin, and how it's changing the world and the job market. And uh, I'm the owner of Blockchain Recruiters, and I'm here with my partner who also owns Blockchain Recruiters, Dave Hampton, the Robo Recruiter. Talk about it. Morning. What you been doing? Uh, Just looking at the uh, jobs that we have going on. So just making some notes. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the great vacation you had with just your wife. Oh, we could talk about that. I mean, it's, you know, uh, we uh, went down downtown San Diego, found this uh, the speakeasy that, that was not so secretive, right? <laughs> right? The a, open secret. Yeah, That's the so, name of the place, the so, open secret. Right? I mean, we were having dinner. At, we asked the waitress. She's like, yeah, you can go to the speakeasy. And, you know, and they had, some, they had really good, really good music. Uh, my wife indulged in some some mojitos. That's, that's her kryptonite. So if everybody knows about that, are we going to call that a speak loudly? I get. I mean, oh, was it a speak loudly? It, it it you know it is a cool bar. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna throw it out. Uh, this guy was it, met the owner of the bar. Super chill guy. Actually learned how to make uh, mojitos down in Havana, and uh, he he's got like a he's got a, a select uh, restaurants in the area and elsewhere because. Uh, Got a little crazy with the politics in California and such. So, name of the bar is uh, Prohibition. Prohibition, I like it. Yeah, Prohibition. That's appropriate for right. for our podcast and for cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and where we're at. And we got a pretty fantastic guest. So, once again, uh, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for all the nice comments. So, if you want to support the channel, please like, subscribe, and write a comment. And remember, Dave and I never send any notes saying call us on telegram and ask you for money we never do that those are fraudsters so um you know my my walk into cryptocurrency into blockchain i've just i've always been a a counterintuitive or just an alternative thinker as far as just uh opposing sides of things i remember one time i was asked like in grade school if somebody plugs a guitar in right and they use a chord, a guitar, and the, the thing doesn't work. Well, what are the, the, the possible outcomes on why it doesn't work? And all the kids were saying, well, uh, the, the switch is bad, the chord is bad, or the guitar is bad. And I remember saying, well, what if electricity has left the planet? Right? It's just, I've, I've always thought that way. And of course, I got laughed at. And it took a long time before my authentic voice and my different insights or sometimes odd insights, were uniquely mine. <clears throat> and I remember I was never really financially literate. My parents were school teachers, and teaching kids was more important than saving money and making money, right? And I'm not trying to blame either of them, but we struggled. So my, my financial literacy came from looking. And I remember I always wanted to, how do people make money on the stock market? You hear about people killing it, right? You hear, you hear yeah. about it. <clears throat> yeah. But the way it always came to me was it was... Uh, if you put $300 in this stock, then maybe at the end of the year it'll be worth 330 So basically, I'm laying $10 to win one. That's the risk, right? And I, I, you know, having been a recruiter that actually placed auditors, these auditors would say, these companies make money in spite of themselves, all this fraud. And so I was always really shy. That with not any uh, functional literacy of, on how it works and just people mentoring in my life at an early age, I was just very ad- adverse to the stock market. And I, uh, I read some alternative publications, like uh, during the very, very political times that we had, you know, from 2016 to pretty much ending like a couple months ago, 
I would read every morning. I would read MSNBC and CNN all the way up to Fox and everything in the middle. I would want to hear what everybody would have to say, right? I, I, so, I, so I could form my own opinion about what the truth was. And one of these publications, I read this article where this guy was talking about, you know, the way that institutions and people make money is through a pre-IPO. And it's like, yeah, that's the thing right there. How do you get on the inside of things? And right. and one of the things that I'm noticing as it relates to Bitcoin, right? Like J.P. Morgan, there, J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, he was absolutely against cryptocurrency, right? And he said he'd fire anybody who bought it to work mm-hmm. for him. That means like you know the people at our bank, if they actually had a little, they could get fired. And now he's totally changed his tune. And J.P. Morgan has announced that you can in fact buy you can you you can you can invest. In our cryptocurrency fund that we have, if you have $5 million or more, which for me is code for if you're rich and you're not a middle class person. Because really, I believe that this this ethos of this power struggle, these people from the Davos crowd, right, the, the, the entitlists, like the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, mm-hmm. who want to tell us how to think and how it's going to be and, and how our money is going to be appropriated for, because, you know, they, they understand the greater good for us. <clears throat> I believe that they're trying to get up as much Bitcoin as possible so the normal man and woman and child can't have it. I absolutely believe that. And that's why Jamie Dimon said that, yeah, you can invest in Bitcoin if you've got at least five million bucks. Because uh, what, what's that top one percent of one yeah. percent? I mean, how, how many people you know got extra five million bucks to do something <clears throat> speculative like that? Uh, not many. Not many. But you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. About that, right. <clears throat> so I'm reading this article. I'm, I'm going to out him in Zero Hedge. I'm reading it, and I, he's talking about, you know, there's this new opportunity for people to get pre-IPO, stop, pre, pre-IPO positions, right? Mm-hmm. And I started, I, 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 I called him up, and we formed a relationship over the last three years, and, you know, he, he, we just started talking. He was talking to me about precious metals. He was talking to me about what's really going on in the economy. And I just agreed with his ideology. The same thing that drove me to Bitcoin and wanted me to make be a cryptocurrency recruiter. His ide- ideology is there. And so with no further ado, I would like to welcome to the show for his take, Joe Gillette. Hi guys. Hey, you, Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. Yeah. You look very comfortable. Where are you? Are you at like like Bernie Sanders says, one of his summer houses? Are you one of <laughs> are you, are you one of your summer houses? I'm I'm in Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, on my back porch swing. I thought it was a perfect studio in nice weather to to have this. Well, it looks it looks beautiful. What's the temperature? In the seventies. Nice. Yeah, yeah nice. So that's, that's refreshing. Yeah, we're like we're in Vegas, and we're only like forty-five degrees hotter than you. Yeah, yeah, only, <laughs> literally, literally. <clears throat> okay, thirty-five at night. <clears throat> so anyhow, so Joe, so uh, um, tell me a little bit about you. Just uh, how you grew up, where you grew up. You know, just all the way to high school, college, sweetheart, kids. Just where we are. Just get that out of the way. Tell the audience. All right. I was born in Orange, California, in St. Joseph's Hospital in Los Angeles and grew up in Los Angeles and South Florida on both coasts with two parents, uh, parents divorced. So I was bi-coastal. Uh, Dad started Numeruno Pizza in L.A. So I was with him when he was growing the business in the 80s and he got me into stock trading and 
also never wanted to operate a restaurant business. It's a very difficult business. So I always wanted to do something with Wall Street and finance. So I started uh, trading stocks in the late 90s, day trading. And it was really easy to trade because it was the dot-com boom. So we were throwing darts at a board and making money and got into Forex uh, after the dot-com bubble popped and did that for about 20 years and developed algorithmic trading systems. And Hold on a second. Really- Hold on a second. Tell our audience what Forex is. Forex is the exchange of fiat currency, one currency to another. So if you want to buy euros from U.S. dollars, uh, the exchange rate changes. And so traders, hedge funds can speculate on rate changes in the same way that people speculate on uh, Bitcoin price changes. And that's what I did for, for 20 years. So I developed algorithms that would do it automatically. And it was a great business until it collapsed. Uh, so that gives me my worldview that I'm uh, anti-monopoly because the there's a group of uh, organizations and people that the best way to refer to them is a monopoly. It's not political. They're just a monopoly and they want to crush all the competitors. So they made a, a rule called the Dodd-Frank rule and it made the entry to Forex. You had to have a hundred million dollars in order to participate. And that pretty much killed 99.9% of all their competitors. Kind of, kind of like what I was just talking about. Kind of like what I was just talking about with what they're yeah, doing. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a monopoly. So you can had the same model applies in the oil markets and in every industry that you have a cartel that controls the market and they do everything they can to quash any, any competitors and Forex was no different. So, um, so I had to look for something else and through the process, I actually wanted to open a bank because what I learned is in the Forex market, these monopolies are all banks and the banks make all the money. It's kind of like in Vegas, uh, the casino always wins, house always wins. So that's what these guys were doing. So traders are making money, losing money, and the banks were making just billions of dollars a year with no risk. So I wanted to, that was really the only way to continue in Forex market was to get a bank. And my business partners at the time uh, suggested, why don't you get into pre-IPO? And uh, I didn't know anything about private equity really. So I explored it and got securities licenses and uh, found a very interesting market where you can buy into companies before they go public. Uh, Like Kraken would be interesting for you guys because it's a crypto exchange and other companies. So I partnered up with uh, a broker dealer level X and that's primarily what I do now is buy and sell, provide access to these uh, pre-IPO companies and it's previously only been for the elite. So you had to be a billion dollar institution. It's just like the Forex monopoly. It was a monopoly and it's a little bit been democratized. So um, recently I opened some partners, a fund, DT Unicorn Fund, and it provides access where investors, they have to be accredited, but uh, you only need $100,000 to invest in names like Kraken and others. So um, it's the same kind of thing with Forex. You've got a small group of companies that control things. And so it's an exciting market because all these companies are really disruptive, like Kraken and Airbnb was a great company. Palantir went public and 
what Palantir does is is just amazing. So we get to participate with all these companies. So it's a great market. And I hope that one day I can open the uh, alternative bank. Yeah, about that. I remember, uh, let's just, let's talk about some of your wins that you were talking about. Because, you know, we, we've spoken over the years and you've, you've told me, uh, hey, um, uh, I've got th- th- this stock. I've got, you know, because really what you do is, so what, what David and I do is we have opportunities and then we have candidates, right? We're looking for candidates who want opportunities and we're looking for opportunities who want candidates. And you actually have stock sellers, pre-IPO stock sellers that want buyers and buyers that want stock sellers. So in a lot of ways, you're a matchmaker like us. <clears throat> and I yeah. remember over the years, you told me it's like, yeah, certain stocks, it's a million dollars to punt. Other stocks, you need 500000 others 100000 And I know you've had a couple of wins that you were really, really high on. I remember you told me about uh, Pinterest at $6. You told me Pinterest at $6 about three years ago. And it, I know that it, it struck for like 22 and a half. Right, so that would have been a huge windfall. And then you also spoke. I think you spoke to me about Palantir, and when you first spoke to me about it, it was like five, five and a half bucks. And then I, I think then before the IPO, you were selling it for seven and a half. And now Palantir is what Palantir? Twenty-five. Yeah, roughly. Twenty. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, and I, I, one of the things I really liked about you, Joe, is I would say, hey, what about Uber? That sounds great. And you said Uber's terrible. I go, what are you talking about? This, this is such a disruptive con- con- uh, company. It's, it's going to, like, ruin the cab industry. It's, it's so great. And remember all the things you said about why Uber and Lyft were dogs, and you were right, right? T- talk about it. Yeah, so I can't – I'm acting as a broker, so I can't really make recommendations as far as um, if someone asks me what should I buy, I can't really say that. Um, however – the big risk for me is to partner up with some kind of WeWork that's going to be a total failure because that would be just the end of my career. So I have to really feel comfortable about companies I'm involved with, even if I'm only a broker, because <clears throat> when there's something like an Enron or a WeWork, there's just all pain and suffering. There's not any upside. That's what happened to me in Forex. I lost millions of dollars through my uh, Forex brokers that went out of business and some of my investors recovered 30 cents on the dollar. I was totally wiped out. Um, so that's what I want to wait, avoid. Wait a second. I didn't know this part of the story. <laughs> you, you had millions of dollars in a Forex account, and then overnight you were told you no longer have access to it. Am I hearing that correctly? Is that what you're saying to me right now? It, yes. It, it happened more than one time. It happened more than 10 times to me. Uh, Refco, MF Global. The for, before Forex was regulated, the institutions oh. were not were they were not solid, so they would just close up shop and oh. and you can look up Refco. Refco went IPO and it was a total fraud. They they weren't too big um, to fail, in other words. They they weren't even Refco was the largest futures broker in the world, but they were not bailed out, so they didn't get any government handouts. So right. myself and my customers lost more than I did, but I was the one bringing these customers yeah. to these yeah, institutions. Your, so your it was reputation basically got staked on it and wiped out. Yeah. The whole, it was a disaster for me. Not only I lost money, I lost reputation. <laughs> I lost everything. So, but the Forex market itself was not the problem, nor were my strategies. I mean, I had losing months, but I never had as I, I, I did well trading <laughs> and when it was working, it, it worked well. So I like trading. <clears throat> I like markets. Uh, but, 
you get to a point where it, you just, I couldn't recover from it. So, and that's one thing I like about pre-IPO is that the companies are a lot more respectable, or at least that's the perception. Uh, because by the time you get to a unicorn status, which is a billion dollars in net worth, you've already proven out your business model. You have some good track record, respectable customers. So, um, yeah, hold on a second. I want to. I want to. I want to stop you here. This is this is great, and this is a cautionary tale. And I didn't know we were going to go here because I didn't know this about you. I mean, you, you know, we've spoken in generalities, but I, I didn't know that you've had this pain. And what's happening right now in the crypto market, right, and in the blockchain space? Well, every time I actually tell people about Bitcoin, right, because I, I will randomly start talking about Bitcoin. That's who I am. Everybody knows that about me. You invite me to the barbecue, well, you know he's going to start talking about Bitcoin. That's, yeah, you got to handicap that in if you want me to be a guest. Every time I say to somebody and I speak about the logic and the protest and the truth and the soundness about Bitcoin and what it is for money, <clears throat> universally somebody will say to me, what about Cardano? What about ETH? What about Doge? What about fill in the blank here? Right. And they also ask me about what about this exchange, that exchange. Right. And I, 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 I think anybody who's listening to this, don't don't go to Binance. And I don't know if Binance is even going to be in business by the time this thing airs. All right. But this is a very, very good cautionary tale about how people will put their money into an unregulated entity and then their money is all gone. And I think what's happening with crypto and because there's a lot of places that are actually putting out cryptocurrency or, or tokens or blockchain uh, projects, initial coin offerings that aren't on a typical exchange. So you have to go on to whatever exchange they are. And I think, Joe, you were talking about about how you, you'd have to go to these different exchanges before they were regulated. And then uh, the, the the rug was pulled out from you. Can you can you can you correlate a parallel between your experience and what people could possibly be experiencing uh, to their own peril with uh, trying to chase shit coins? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very similar environment. And any investor, when you do due diligence on an investment, that means you should research everything about that investment. So if you're buying Apple stock or something very common, there's an overwhelming amount of material you can research uh, about publicly traded, regulated companies. They'll give you their financial statements. Just You can find out everything about them. Who are the executives, the background of the executives, just everything. Whereas with cryptocurrency, you don't have any of that. With some of these token projects, they don't even disclose their names. So uh, that's not only a red flag, it kind of stops the whole due diligence process. And same thing with the exchanges. Uh, so you're left with Coinbase, Kraken and uh, Gemini and a couple other U.S. regulated exchanges, and that's what's caused them to explode in demand because at least they're they're regulated uh, to the certain extent, but they're not vouching for the tokens themselves. And there's been a lot of promoters of these uh, dark tokens that you don't know anything about them, and, and that was always my hesitation about crypto in general is that. There's limited amount of in information we can obtain about these investments. So I I never went big into it as far as investing money. I did early mining. I did buy, I think, 10 Bitcoin at Mt. Gox. I got hacked. 
And wait, I just you, wait, wait, you got hacked or Mount Gox got hacked? Mount Gox got okay, hacked. Okay, it's but, very, very different. Yeah. So I just, uh, words are important yeah. on this one. Okay. Yeah, Mount Gox got hacked. So you know about that. So I, I had a similar experience in crypto that I had in Forex. So I, I realized the, um, the market is the same. So what I always suggest is, uh, for example, Kraken, you can actually buy into Kraken if you're an accredited investor. That's one way to hedge. If you want to invest in cryptocurrency, you can actually buy into the exchange by buying equity into uh, Kraken if you're accredited. Um, but buying any of the tokens, I would always say it's totally risky and you should only invest really funds you can afford to lose. So for the average person, it's, I mean, just put a small amount. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it's, you just don't know what's going to happen. It's a total, there's no way to make analysis. So you don't even have a starting point to create analysis to, for an investment. Uh, whereas with other markets, stocks, that's why I like the pre-IPO market because it's it's not like that at all. But uh, you have a similar set of dynamic with cryptocurrency. So investors should be very cautious about putting any <clears throat> any funds in, in these Cardano. And I mean, they may be good projects. I'm not saying that they're all shit coins, but, but some of them are, and you never know which is going to be the next shit coin. Uh, so I would look at who's behind it. So if IBM is behind Stellar Lumens, for example, that's a very positive sign. Uh, Bitcoin, we don't know who's behind it. So that's a negative. Uh, but some of the newer projects have big corporate backers and that's, that's encouraging. Um, I like stable coins. There's a lot of really good stable coins coming out. And of course, the potential return on stable coins is a lot less, but um, you're paying for risk. So with a smaller return, you're going to get more potential stability. Yeah. So uh, are you going to invest in Tether? No. <laughs> why no, not? I think why, why not? I think Tether. I think Tether is a fraud. Okay, let's hear about it. Why do you and and to our audience, this is really important. Okay, now you're you're coming to this show because you either want a job in crypto or you want to know more about well, what is it exactly and how does it work? So what I what we do here, what David and I do, is we find guests that can bring an alternative view. And Joe has spent years researching things, researching things on this this market, right? And he he actually has stepped on the coals and he knows what to do when they're hot. That's not step on them. And so I, I, was, I knew I was going to ask him this question because when he told me that he thought Tether was a fraud, I said, what are you talking about? And without going into the audience about what a stable coin is, it's just I'm just going to let, let what Joe. What is Tether? What is Tether? Right. Here we so go. Tether is, is a, a token created by a group not in the United States. So they're not subject to U.S. laws and rules that is one-to-one -one with the U.S. dollar. So the idea is that you buy Tether, it's a cryptocurrency, and that should be always equal one-to-one -one with the U.S. dollar. And what Tether says is, if there's a billion Tether, there, we have a billion U.S. dollars in the bank. So the idea is when you buy Tether, they buy uh, with that Tether money one U.S. dollar and they keep it in the bank one-to-one. -one. So it's a, it's a really simple idea. And Tether has been used to as a funding currency for a lot of these offshore exchanges. <coughs> these exchanges uh, are not regulated by the U.S. financial system, so they can't accept U.S. dollars. 
so they accept Tether. Uh, so, which is backed by the U.S. dollar, right? Allegedly, go on, Joe. Allegedly. Okay. So here's here's the thing. So, the the money should be in a bank account. So the critics of Tether have all asked, "Show us the money," and Tether has never done so. So finally, recently, they had an accountant draft a letter, an accountant from the Caymans, saying that everything is fit and proper, and they do have fifty four billion dollars in in a bank account in the Bahamas but they never showed us the bank statement. Now, what I've looked into, I have a couple of colleagues that are fraud experts that they look at fraud uh, on a daily basis for their jobs. And they're very high level uh, lawyers and some other experts. And when you look at financial fraud, you always follow the money, just like with anything. And Tether is registered in the Bahamas, they're, um, where the, the bank where they're holding these funds and the Bahamas Central Bank publishes um, numbers from all their banks. And this $54 billion doesn't show up on the Central Bank uh, sheet, which is a public document that you can go look at. They publish it quarterly. So if the billions of dollars is flowing in and out of Tether, like they say it is, that should show up on this uh, balance sheet, and it does not. And my partner and I actually were in the Bahamas physically speaking to the accountants about this, uh, not Tether's accountants, but some other accountants about this. And we do have expert agreement that it should show up on this. It should show up somewhere. So Tether has not shown us the uh, bank statement, which is red flag number one. The money does not show up on any uh, public ledger balance sheet, such as the Central Bank of Bahamas publishes. Number three, the New York Attorney General is investigating Tether as a fraud. And they have not yet released the report of their multi-year investigation. <laughs> uh, and the New, New York Attorney General is very uh, sophisticated. Letitia James. Letitia James. They're probably one of the top state regulators in, in the country. Uh, they, they look at fraud on a serious level because they want to protect that's their job. That's all they do. Yeah, they, they, they need to protect the integrity of Wall Street. If that's an oxymoron, but yeah, let's roll right. with it. <laughs> right. So let's roll I mean, with it. It's, yeah. So uh, I mean, you could. Yeah, they um, are protecting the regulated U.S. financial system. So anything that's a fraud, they they want to um, prosecute because <clears throat> if let's say people lose billions of dollars in tether. They're not going to be able to invest in the Wall Street products. Uh, so that's a little bit of an ethical discussion that's different. But the point is, Tether looks like a fraud, quacks like a fraud, but it has not been proven. So to be clear, it's not. that's just my take on the situation. I don't know that for a fact, but we will see. But certainly, I would not invest in any exchange that uses Tether. And but what's interesting is all the regulated exchanges like Coinbase don't offer Tether. And that could be why. That could be a big reason why. So I would just avoid Tether if you can. And there's no reason to be forced. And Tether is just a funding currency. So if you can avoid it and it's potentially a fraud, then just avoid it. So there's there's not yeah. and, no and, one's investing. And, 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 and for those of you I'm sorry, David. So it's elementary, Mindre Watson. Yeah. So this is a cautionary tale. And so if you're looking how to get into Bitcoin, right, don't take it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from the guy by the dumpster, right, that, that hey, Dogecoin is the new thing. 
You know, I've been saying on this this show, if you want to get into Bitcoin, you want to have some go-to Coinbase. I don't endorse them, but just they're regulated. They're not going to run out of money. They've got to follow the rules. They're publicly traded. And, you know, they, they are under the watch of the almighty powerful U.S. government and the Justice Department. So if you want to buy Bitcoin, you should start there, opening an account, because you're protected. So, Joe, I want, I want, I don't, I want to come back. I want to come back to something. So what Joe is saying, so all, all currency uh, coin trans, tra transactions start with fiat. We'll call it U.S. fiat, right? Paper dollars. <clears throat> it comes out of somebody's bank account or it's wired to an exchange somewhere and then it's converted into a digital currency. And then those digital currencies are actually, sometimes people will take currency, digital currency token A, Bitcoin, and convert it to something else like Cardano or Polkadot or whatever it is. And what Joe is saying is that they, a lot of these uh, exchanges use Tether as a stable coin. And the reason it's called stable, allegedly, is it's backed by the U.S. dollar. So whatever a dollar's worth, this coin's going to be worth, right? So there's, there, are, there are many of these, these stable coins that are backed by the U.S. dollar. So, Joe, let's go, let's go down the rabbit hole a little further on this. If, if entities are using... $54 billion worth of Tether to actually transact and, and swap and negotiate from cryptocurrency A to cryptocurrency G. What, what's going to happen when the uh, <clears throat> rugs pulled out? They uh, would lose everything. Well, who's, uh, yeah, but when you say they would lose everything, certainly the cryptocurrency market is bigger than $54 billion, right? So just uh, what do you see the chain of events being that will cause the losses? Explain it to the audience so they can understand. The problem, the problem that would happen if, let's say, Tether blew up and was exposed as a fraud, there would be a funding problem. It would be the equivalent of a run on the banks with the exchanges that are backed by Tether because people would be panicking and trying to convert all of their tether, the, 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 the foreign exchanges that are unregulated, the black exchanges, I don't want to name any of them, but there are thousands of them. Uh, these are not Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, and the U.S. regulated exchanges, but ones that are in Mexico or other countries, they all use tether because there's rules that if you use the U.S. dollar, for example, you are actually... <coughs> regulated by the Department of Justice and the U.S. system. So there's even hedge funds that will not use the U.S. dollar because they don't want that regulation. So that's a uh, double-edged sword because when you're going into these foreign exchanges that are not regulated, basically they can press a button and you wouldn't be able to withdraw your funds. There's no guarantee of liquidity. So what would happen if Tether blew up? These exchanges would not pay out withdrawals and that's happened before. There's been exchanges. There was that one in Canada and other exchanges that have folded. So, um, but that risk is, yeah, is at almost any exchange. Well, speaking of that, okay, I'm going to name one, right? Because I, I want to advise my audience, you know, and I, I believe my audience is a North American audience, for at least at this stage of my uh, podcast, not to use uh, Binance, I totally because there are some bad things happening at Binance. Are you aware of what's happening at Binance right now, Joe? 
I'm I'm not following Binance, but um, I know of several large foreign exchanges that that have that do a lot of things that are bad, and um, they have to do with how they're managing the liquidity, and it's not good for. I, I I would not. I agree with you in your statement about sticking to the U.S. regulated exchanges, and I, as much critical. And as much as I'm allergic to regulation, in this case, it's just a question of <laughs> do you want to have access to your money, a return of your money, not a return on your money. So I would, I yeah, would the, definitely- the, the return of your money versus the return on your money. That's correct. All right. what's, yeah. the, what's the good about making a return of 500% on your money when there is a 0% return of your money? That's excellent. Exactly. That's excellent, Joe. Well, I'm going to talk about Binance because what's happened recently is that all of a sudden there are many, many, many people that actually are on Binance that actually – uh, they, they can't withdraw money or they, they can withdraw a very limited amount. And there was one guy who actually couldn't get anything back from customer service. And somehow he found the phone number of the CEO's mother and sent her a text. Hey, can you tell your son to give me my money from my account? And his account was promptly blocked. Wow. Not to mention the fact, like about three weeks ago, the, C, uh, the CFO abruptly left. Abruptly left. No statement. No statement. You know, fired, quit. Doesn't matter. It's bad. And I'm just I'm to tell you. see. So Binance, you know, they don't actually have have a headquarters. They're they're like aloof, like some type of foil to Batman. They're around somewhere. And what they did was is that they actually had a limited version of Binance USA, right? Because you weren't allowed to actually sign up account for Binance if you were an American citizen, because <clears throat> these people know that the the U.S. Marshal can go anywhere in the world and put you in handcuffs and bring you back with a bag over your head. And the next thing you know is you're waking up eating some type of tray meal and a warm milk at the Metropolitan Detention Center in New York City. <laughs> and you're never going home. Right. That, that's 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 the government. So so that that's a fantastic story. Um, and thank you so much for what you've given us. I want to ask, what is your take on cryptocurrency as you see it changing the job market? Well, I think it's been overall a huge benefit and a new industry that didn't exist before cryptocurrency. So even though I'm critical on some of the larger tokens because of their lack of transparency, overall, it's created, I don't know how many jobs, but we can certainly quantify it. So I think what you're doing, David, is extremely intelligent with the Bitcoin recruiter. And I would suggest to all candidates to get um, as much knowledge as possible on cryptocurrency, because I know some pretty big organizations that are managing lots of uh, substantial assets in crypto that have very little knowledge of actually the technology, how it works. And from, a, from my perspective, uh, I wrote a book about Forex splitting pennies and and then about uh, Bitcoin splitting bits. These are it's and and they're dated. This was five years ago. But um, the evolution of both, I mean, cryptocurrency is effectively a currency. So the technological evolution of the currency markets in general has been very slow. The system that we use to wire money to each other was made in 1937, before World War II and before the internet. And that's why it's called wire payments because they used a telegraph. Uh, the Fedwire system, I'm not exaggerating, was built in 1937. So when I look at cryptocurrency, I look at like a technology stack that's changing 
the banking system. And the banks were just very reticent to invest in technology. So I do think that blockchain is the future. It just is not going to be what the blockchain we're looking at now. So I think now there are projects that are starting that are going to really transform the financial system. It's just going to take five, 10 years. It's not going to happen overnight. And it's going to have to include the institutions for it to be really ubiquitous, meaning that everyone uses it. Uh, the one big misnomer about cryptocurrency is that it's somehow outside of the financial system. And I just want to tell everyone that when you buy Bitcoin, you first have to buy US dollars. So it's not outside the system. It is part of the banking system. And I think in order to make it really widespread, having 90% user adoption, it's going to take the big institutions, the central banks, the Federal Reserve, the big Wall Street banks, and they are starting to participate in it. Uh, they are getting big into it. So it's going to be an interesting five, 10 years. Mm. So I think the need for cryptocurrency jobs is going to rapidly accelerate, if not go parabolic in the next two to three years. I think that companies of all sizes are going to start, are going to need people with cryptocurrency and blockchain skills, whether it's just understanding the ecosystem uh, all the way up to programming in Solidity language, which is the Ethereum language. It's going to be just e a Easy huge tiger, service. easy tiger, a little too technical for our audience there. So, <clears throat> but that's what happens when you're as smart as Joe. You just keep going and going and going. So anyhow, we're Thank gonna we, we're gonna take a take a shot here. It's it's the the time of the show where we talk about candidates we have. We talk about job jobs we have. So uh, I'm gonna go first. So um, I, I the I've got a blockchain developer. Okay, I also have a business operations manager. I've got a DeFi crypto portfolio manager, and I got a cryptocurrency fund account position. That's why I have positions. As far as candidates, um, I have. I've got a new crypto security designer. This 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 guy was so smart. I mean, and I'm still looking at the spirits. Uh, uh, I'm still learning the space. And when he called me up on the phone and said, "Hey, I heard you play, place people in blockchain space," I said, oh, "Okay, you heard that." And when he started talking to me, he's kind of like like Joe. I mean, my my love for crypto actually made me curious and made me look look at the learning tribe and find people like Joe. Joe's one of my mentors. Right, like a lot of the people, I, they're all. I mean, I'm learning. We learn so so much from all of our guests, don't we? Right. Yeah, definitely. What do you got, boss? Uh, let's <clears> see <throat> here. Uh, I got a head of blockchain. That's uh, that's up in the uh, Bay Area. Uh, I got quite a few blockchain blockchain developers. Um, let's see here. Got a got a couple compliance positions. Compliance boring. Analysts. Uh, yeah, but they're necessary. And, and here's the thing, here's the thing. What we got to think about is, is, uh, what, what jobs, you know, do people have right now or have had that are, uh, have the skill set to transfer over? Yeah. You know, that, that, that that's a good point. You know, so that, whether compliance in a bank or compliance in corporate, you know, USA, uh, you, you still, if you want to transfer that skill to an industry that's uh, unsaturated. Yeah, and I, I, I want to talk to a lot of people who are actually, and by the way, thank you so much for all, all the kind words, the messages, the Twitter that we're getting. Um, I had no idea that the adoption, to, to, there's that word again, to this show was going to come so quickly. But what I wanted to say is, is that, you know, if you're like, there are a lot of people who've been, been put on the bench by COVID, a lot. 
right? Yep. And they're they're still getting that check, or they or or they're not getting the check, and they haven't gone back to work. And it's like, well, what am I going to do? Your job doesn't exist anymore, or it just doesn't exist for you and your psyche, right? If you want to really figure out what you can do, call us. <laughs> Call us because there is a transferability and uh, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that you actually just have the willingness and you know something about the space there. Yeah, there there is a translation and an interpretation. I mean, I I don't know if you're a bricklayer, how that's going to change the space. But I'm talking about there are things in customer service. There are things in compliance. There are things in accounting. There are things in development. There are things in strategy. There are things in money management. There are sales. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Guest experience. There are so many things. Right. I mean, uh, I could see how um, you know Nicholas from the BMW dealership. Right. The BMW genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. He would be. Excellent. Yeah, imagine if there was like a crypto genius, you know, right? That, that, Ex- explaining crypto technology. Right. right. He, he went from being a BMW genius to now selling it, it, BMWs, it, it, and he's it, killing it. Exactly. And here's the thing about cryptocurrency and blockchain and Bitcoin. For all you people out there, you need to look with a different lens. Okay. The way we've been taught to see money and see things is totally different. So, speaking of that, I want to go to Joe again. I want to ask you a question. So as you know, recently, El Salvador, um, they passed a law that Bitcoin is legal tender and that for three Bitcoin, you can get permanent residence in El Salvador. And I know that uh, I think Uruguay is very close to the exact same. It's it's only a matter of time. You know, it's the first domino to fall. And um, the reason this is important and also my conversations with you is <clears throat> when Uber came, right, it really it was very disruptive uh, to the way the taxi business worked, right? Taxis would have a monopoly. They could all get together and say, hey, nobody goes from the airport to downtown for less than 150 bucks. Yeah, but and, in addition to that, they also solved the, hey, what's the number of that taxi cab? What's the number? You know, they, they <laughs> saw that and that entire, it's like, what? what? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Know? Right, and so the thing about it is, is that Western Union, right, are the biggest group of thugs and mafia gangsters that I know. I mean, they are just the absolute worst, and they uh, they charge like sometimes thirty percent to send money, and twenty two percent of the gross domestic product, all the money that the country of El Salvador makes, is from remittances. From the United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. That's one-fifth of all the money for the, that pays for everything. And that means people you know, that ran here or came here or migrated here or however they got here, they're sending money home, right? And Western yeah. Union is taking, taking a share of that or yeah. whatever, you know, usurious, yeah. Again, thuggish, criminal. Old-school platform taking, right. taking away Right, and all of a sudden, it, but so now, now you're sending, sending Bitcoin home, right? Right. So, Joe, I mean... Um, my position on it has been it's not so much that El Salvador actually has accepted Bitcoin, but now from America, the, this, these, a lot of these marginalized people will start saying, hey, how do I get paid in Bitcoin? They'll start asking their bosses, right? And it's like, oh, what's Bitcoin? And, you know, and the whole, it's, the, it's that mass adoption coming in. Do you have an opinion on, on that, Joe? I do. Um, I don't think that Bitcoin will ever go viral. Uh, in that sense, like mass adoption. And I think El Salvador has just made themselves a target. Uh, If you look at uh, what happened three months before we invaded Iraq, uh, Saddam Hussein switched to price oil in euros. 
And when everyone always makes these arguments <laughs> that the U.S. dollar is backed by nothing, it's just worthless paper. That's not true. The U.S. dollar is backed by bombs. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Wow. Look at well, go on. Military, go on. No, I like from it. World War II, if you look at every invasion or enemy that we have, it's supporting our number one product, which is the U.S. dollar. The guys who created the CIA, the Dulles brothers, they were securities attorneys and they were entrepreneurs. So the world is not what they say it is on TV, but specifically about the financial system, it's backed by the military. And, and so that's why people feel safe using U.S. dollars, because there's something that stands behind it. So uh, if there is going to be a widespread cryptocurrency use, it's going to come top down from the central banks. It's not going to be uh, a grassroots movement of libertarians and uh, El Salvador and, and small countries using it. I think. Well, I said That's when, we, when we started this totally counter to yeah, yeah. well, when I said this podcast, I said everybody gets agency, everybody's opinion gets to be heard, right? Yeah. This this is a this is a it's counter a very compelling yeah, argument. This is this is not what I thought you were going to say, Joseph. And let me give the CIA your address, you know, so they can actually uh, drop the smart bomb. <laughs> the last no, thing you'll hear I'm, is what's that noise? <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually helping them see what they're doing is they're advertising the United States, whether it's Coca-Cola, U.S. dollars. So I'm actually their uh, biggest advocate. Ally. You're an advocate. Advocate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, I, I yeah, love we're it. All patriots. We love America. Well, love it or yeah, love, love it or hate it. I mean, I, I wouldn't I couldn't see myself living anywhere else. I mean, when I stop and think about it, I really, really enjoy all the freedoms we used to have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we still have them, if you ask me, but to a certain degree. Yeah. So, anyhow, uh, Joe Gillette, is there anything you'd like to talk? Uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and talk to you about, uh, did you call it the DT Unicorn Fund? Is what it is? DT Unicorn Fund is a way that investors can participate in pre-IPO investing because most of our transactions are uh, direct transactions, and you would need. $1 million to $5 million. So with the fund, it's more accessible. So they can contact me by my email, jgillette at levelx.com, and we take it from there uh, or call me. My contact info is always All right. on my email. So for, for those of you listening on Spotify or on Apple, it's J uh, Gillette, J-G-E-L-E-T at L-E-V-E-L-X.com. Correct, Joe? Yes. Yeah. So go ahead and get your pre-IPO stock on. I just want to ask you one more question. So you know you uh you got some different theories. When I spoke to you, we've never gone like to, to down this hole. So what do you think the future of Bitcoin actually is, or even cryptocurrencies? Do you think it's going to be quashed? No, I think that Bitcoin was created by the U.S. government in a in a dark budget project in in collaboration with some of the big banks. And I think it was a pilot program, getting the population ready for what's coming, which is uh, central, central bank, bank digital currencies. Central bank digital currencies. I think that's the long-term plan. You can call it a one-world currency. You can call it whatever you want. But when the central banks release their version of the U.S. dollar crypto, that's going to be where you're going to see widespread crypto use everywhere. And and so some of these vendors that are working on payment systems, they're all going to be part of the ecosystem. So 
the development is good. It's just not going to be what people think it is. It's going to be from the big institutions, the monopolies that control the system. Because you have to remember these monopolies, Bank of how many accounts does Bank of America have? Like 300 million. I mean, they they control the financial system. So El, El Salvador is irrelevant. I mean, even if 100% of people in El Salvador start using Bitcoin, what is that market penetration? It's not even uh, a half of a half of a percent. So uh, when that switch happens, and I don't know when it'll happen, but uh, then everything will be cryptocurrency. So I, I, I do think that blockchain is the future. And it it's it's really needed because the financial system is very outdated. Uh, so I support it because it's I'm a technology guy in my heart and soul. I, I'm a computer guy. So I like to see big changes. Joe Gillette, you got a dark side, but I really loved it today. And thank you for being so authentic and keeping it raw. So maybe we should change the podcast to a bit about raw. I don't, yeah, uh, I don't know. A bit that. about crypto. Yeah, let's yeah, stick, let's yeah, stick with that. Anyhow, yeah. David Hampton, Robo Recruiter. Thanks for coming to Vegas and joining me again. Thank so, you. like I said, if you uh, if you want a job in crypto or you need somebody for your crypto project, you call me. I'm David James, and you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at the BTC Recruiter. And so, on behalf of uh, the Bit About Crypto podcast, <clears throat> remember, get whispered.